Hi, I'm Karen Calabrese, and I'm with So Flow Vegans. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the So Flow Vegans podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell, and also founder of So Flow Vegans. On this episode, we have Karen Calabrese joining us to talk about her over 50 years of being a raw vegan other topics that we address in this podcast is veganism in the black community uh, how she faced adversity from her family and community when she first started the rise of veganism in the past couple of years her thoughts on sugar and fruit fast and other important topics we want to thank you for listening right now. And if you want more information on the SoFlow Vegans podcast, we encourage you to go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast. So with all that being said, enjoy our episode with Karen Calabrese. You are listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. And today we have Karen Calabrese joining us. We are so delighted to have you. How are you doing today? Hi, I am so fabulous. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on your show. Anytime I can run and spread the word, I'm there. Well, we appreciate it. And we have a tradition on our podcast. The very first question that we have is <laughs> we want to look into your origin story. How did you become plant-based? How did you become vegan? What were those seeds that were planted? Yes, uh, it, it was really, I did not set out to do this. Uh, as a matter of fact, I started 50 years ago when nobody barely heard the word vegan, and you probably weren't born yet, right, <laughs> when I started. But um, all the women in my family died overweight and very young. My mom died at 47, my grandmother at 50, and my great-grandmother at 60. I was exceptionally uh, sickly as a child. I had terrible skin. I was constipated all the time. And uh, I was a hot mess, as uh, so many of the people in my family were. And somehow, oh, my mother, before she passed away, kind of introduced me to carrot juice. Uh, she said, you know, my mother was kind of a hippie of her day, but we would have called them bohemians. And uh, she introduced me, and I started drinking carrot juice, and I started going to the bathroom for the first time in my life, I mean, like, regularly. And I thought, wow, so being a slightly obsessive compulsive person, a few glasses, I was going to drink gallons of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started drinking all this carrot juice, and it was just so delicious. And it, I, you see, this is why I teach what I teach. It's changing that biochemistry internally. You don't always have to come through the, the brain because I didn't decide to do this. I was a great cook with regular food, and uh, I started just losing my appetite for certain things, you know. Um, so I decided, well, I'll give up red meat and, you know, see where that goes. And I did. And uh, one day I was making chicken soup and uh, put the chicken in the pot and forgot about it. And when I went back to look, the bones were floating over here. The skin was over here. And I went, oh, my God, what have I done? So the point of the story is my humanity was awakened mm. because we all intuitively feel that way. And my humanity was awakened by putting the live food into my body, the carrot juice, on a consistent basis. And it just gradually evolved from that. I didn't read a book one day and say, oh, I'm going to be a raw foodist, you know, or I'm going to be a vegan, uh, which is why this is the way I teach too, is organically. It's wonderful. I'm glad all of you people read about you become vegans. But so many of the young warriors today and the kids are back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because it's an idea they get and they just do. And I think that's certainly valid also. But uh, when you do it organically, you don't tend to go back again. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You cross the bridges that keep you there is what I found. So from my own experience, this is how I teach. You know, I teach for people to do it organically through detox classes. So it was like all of a sudden I just couldn't tolerate the, si the, the, the smell or the taste or the look of animal products. I was still wearing fur coats, though, okay, <laughs> because I didn't come to it from that point of view, although I'm a huge animal lover. That wasn't my impotence that put me there. But eventually all of that changed, too. So my whole 
thing was organically. My evolution was organically. I didn't read a book one day and say, oh my God, I think I'm going to, you know, give up animals and become plant-based. It just, the universe, the spirit, whatever, it just did it for me. Although I will say as a child, I never liked meat. Mm -hmm. They used to have to force me to eat it. You know, I was a finicky eater. I I always joke and say I was the first black anorexic because (laughs) (laughs) there's no such thing because I just didn't like food, you know. And they would force me. So when I came into this world, it was like unbelievable. The, the living, fresh, plant-based food, I really took to it. So I did not set out to do this. And so in the interim of all that, I was a vegetarian for a few years. And then I became a vegan. And then I met Dr. Ann Wigmore, who started the whole raw movement and became her student and friend. And that took me raw. And I've never looked back. So you mentioned you, you've you been in this space for about 50 years, correct? 50. 50 years. And you you grew up in Chicago, am I correct? Chicago, Hyde Park with a typical African-American diet, you know, uh, uh, you know, they, greens, cornbread, chicken, you know, although I grew up with a great grandmother who cooked and she was a fabulous cook. And that's where I learned to cook because the church ladies would come over on Sunday, you know, and she'd roll her stockings down around her ankles and put her house coat on, you know. And I was three, four years old. I'd be in the kitchen at the sink washing greens with her. And, you know, they had the we had a chamber stove where you kept the bacon grease to rub over the biscuits and stuff. So, I mean, I really learned to cook everything from scratch. And I always loved cooking. I always loved making food. So I just kind of transferred. There was no place for me to go eat. So I just kind of transferred the stuff I was making into the vegan world. And, you know, just to brag for a second, I was the first person to do vegan kale chips to make the nut pâtés. And that was me like 50 years ago doing all that through, you know, meeting Dr. Wigmore. So I just kind of, uh, I dream food. So because I could cook, I made the best fried chicken on the planet. You know, my great grandma used cornmeal and flour, the right kind of flour and everything. So I just transferred that to vegan cooking. And I started feeding myself. And I was a model, dancer, actress uh, initially. And um, then I moved back to Chicago and I lived in Evanston and I had kids. And so I would invite people to my house the third Sunday of every month because there were no other vegans around and certainly no raw foodists around. Mm-hmm. And I started something called Learn to Live International, I called it. I was in my early 30s. And I started Learn to Live International out of my home. And we'd meet the third Sunday of every month. And so I didn't tell people they had to be vegan. I would put up a recipe in the the big health food store we had, invite people to come. And I'd say, you bring mushrooms. You bring this. You bring that. And we'd get together. We'd make the food. And then I would talk about being vegan and being raw. And uh, I brought Dr. Wigmore to my house to speak. There were quite a few people out there, David Wolf, all they all started out by me and they would come by my house. Mm -hmm. And I started out with six people a month and ended up getting 90 people a month in my home. Wow! And I ended up renting a greenhouse and starting to grow wheatgrass. Nobody had heard of wheatgrass back then. In fact, my boyfriend at the time, can I say a bad word, said, you'll never get anybody to drink that shit but you. And now the whole world is drinking it. Wow. So I rented a greenhouse and started growing wheatgrass and I've just never looked back. And now I look at what's going on and I mean, it's beyond wonderful. I mean, you, the people out there, I mean, it's a household word now, you know? So you're, from what I'm hearing, you're a pioneer in a lot of things that we just, a lot take, maybe take for granted or just feel like it's commonplace right now in this space. What, you know, being a pioneer in, in this space, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to get the word out? Well, I, you know, I had these meetings at my home. That was initial, That was one of the things. And then I opened up the second raw food restaurant in the country. The first one was opened up in Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, four guys from Morehouse College opened up the first raw food restaurant. Then I opened up the second one in Chicago. Aris Latham had a place in New York prior to that. He's the original raw food chef. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, the greatest raw food chef in the world. He, he's he got a degree in raw foods. He started it. He's Well, I'm 50 years. He's probably about 55, 60 years he's been doing it. And he had a place in New York, but he had cooked there. So that's why I say I have the second all raw restaurant. And uh, so I opened up my raw food restaurant 
in Chicago on the north side. And people will walk by and go, ah. you know, they stick there like, oh, what is she doing? This is it. And the police were giving me tickets every day because I think they thought I had a drug ring going in there because nobody understood what I was doing. When I would, uh, I had a driver delivering my wheatgrass and he got stopped by the police. You know, what is this grass in your car? And it was really unique in the beginning. People thought I was absolutely insane. So I took a raw vegan restaurant off the window and just put up just good fresh food. Mm. And then people started coming in. Uh, and then um, what else happened? Uh, I did the Black Women's Expo here in Chicago. Everybody thought I was crazy. But then I ended up on Oprah. And uh, for some reason, you know, they called me. I don't remember why, but I did Oprah. And that was like the beginning of the change of people not thinking I was so crazy. And then I did her show two more times and I wrote some books and blah, 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 blah. So, so what, was, it, <laughs> was there ever a point in time where you where you became frustrated or where you thought of maybe giving up or anything like that. You know anything about astrology? Yes, a little, a little bit. I have five planets in Aries. We are the babies of the Zodiac. So I always say God takes care of fools and babies and I'm not a baby. <laughs> so I never knew I wasn't doing good. You know what I'm uh, saying? It never occurs to me until I look back and go, oh my God, how did I do that? You know, I just have an attitude of foolishness. It doesn't, you know, I didn't even have a menu ready when I opened up my first restaurant. I had never even worked in a restaurant, right? And that restaurant lasted for, nine, no, 25 years. Wow. I just closed four years ago because my landlord was turning the building into a, a condo. Mm -hmm. I was there 18 years, that one building, and I was at another building nine before that. So I, I just... And, and like right now, if you knew what the past four years of my life brought me from breaking my shoulder in 17 places and my kneecap and, you know, that's supposed to define me for the rest of my life. I'm taking dance classes again. So I just have that kind of personality where I don't really pay attention until I look back and go, oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the fool that God takes care of. What can I say? <laughs> Now, I found it fascinating that you said the first two, obviously you were the second, but the first two raw food restaurants were in Atlanta and in Chicago. Not California or Florida, okay. So, so let's talk about that a little bit because you see reports of, you know, veganism and plant-based um, growing in the, in the black community, but then you hear stories where, you know, the top, you know, the first two restaurants, raw food restaurants were and you know these two hot spots for, for black people so what are your thoughts on on you know veganism or plant-based eating within the black community well thank god for my community because that's why i'm still open uh and i'm on the north side which isn't in the black area of chicago but i did that because i wanted everybody to come to the restaurant you know uh, i think i would say my easiest clients are ethnic people, are people Latino people, because I think, I, it, it, I don't want to sound like I'm being exclusive, but I think we have a different relationship to nature and earth and life and mother, mother earth. I don't know what it is, I, but I just think that we have a different connection. And so we're able to accept things, these things easier. The people that you have the hardest time with are the highest educated people mm -hmm. who don't want to make the change you know, the people with the PhDs and whatever. Although I do have quite a few doctors as clients. I have two right now as clients of mine. They're both African-American, but <laughs> I have two doctors working with me right now. But I, I just think, I, I don't want to sound so like an elitist, but I think it's our soul just mm. touches the earth differently maybe than some other cultures. So we get it. Mm. And as far as your, your upbringing, you know, you mentioned that your family has a history um, are had a, rather had a history of mm -hmm. passing away earlier. How how did that specifically play a role in your transition to a completely raw um, to a raw diet? Well, uh, really, they didn't. You know, well, first of all, my family did not accept what I was doing at all. I mean, I was the crazy person that you couldn't invite to dinner anymore. And they always laughed at me and made fun. I, they always laughed at me anyway. I was always different than the rest of the people in my family. I mean, if you met my family, you meet me, you go, she must have been adopted. But, <laughs> you know, I was I kind of thought I was. But um, they they were never accepting of how I ate or what I do. But it's very funny. I have a cousin right now 
uh, who was just diagnosed with cancer mm. and he's in his 60s and he called me to let me know, Karen, I'm being vegan now. Mm. You know, a family member, I have two family members after 50 years are coming around. But yes, what really shaped my transitioning was how I looked and felt all along the way. Mm. I was very conscious about, you know, because in the beginning, you kind of go backwards and forwards. You know, I'm 100% vegan for like, you know, three or four years. Oh, I'm going to try a little baked potato or a little this. But you can feel the difference. So I just kept monitoring how I felt, what was changing, what was happening. And and I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty focused, OCD actually, you know, about... Uh, researching and learning. And uh, Dr. Gabriel Cousins was another one of my mentors and teachers, like uh, Dr. Wigmore, Victoris Kovinskas, we're still best friends. You should put him on the show. Um, he is the grandfather of the whole raw food movement. He's mm. absolutely brilliant. Uh, so I had some wonderful teachers too, but I would say the smartest thing about me is when I hear something, when I hear the truth, I don't have to question it. I just do it. Mm. 70% of the time, I'm right. <laughs> I'm not going to 85 You know, you do run into those moments when you should have researched more. But I'd say for the most part, I've been right. And how have you seen, like, what are your thoughts on the the rise of this plant-based movement of veganism uh, for, since the 50 years that you've been involved in it? Yeah. I would say, like, the last five years, have you it's seen... Really exploded. It has exploded. And I, I really think part of that is because of all the social media that we have. So we're able to reach each other more so than before. Um, I think the acceptance of some of the stars, so to speak, that are getting involved. I mean, Stevie Wonder ate dinner at my house while he was vegan, you know, when he came to Chicago. I've had Beyonce in my restaurant. I've had uh, uh, John Sally wrote about, uh, you know, did a thing for my book. And um, Jermaine Dupree wrote for my book. So I think the celebrities getting in have helped because people are kind of like, she, you know, they like to follow. Uh, I think the social media has helped. And I think just, you know, the whole planet is dying and we want to find a way to live, you know. And I think there's an awakening coming about in general because we have to. We have to. We don't have a choice. We're, you know, it's getting late there with the way we're treating the world. Mm. And let's go a little bit more into raw food. Like, okay. For someone who's maybe just has gotten into veganism, maybe they did it for the animals, the environment, and maybe not so much for the health side of things. Why is it important to consider a raw diet? Well, I'm not looking so good today, but you think I look 73? Definitely not. Okay. Well, there's your reason for raw foods. No. <laughs> and thank you for the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, you know, First of all, I don't know what illness is. I don't get sick. I don't even wear glasses. I should be in bifocals by now at 73. I don't wear glasses. I don't get sick. I'm clumsy. I break bones. I don't know what illness is. I sleep four and a half hours a night for the past 20 years. I don't require any more sleep than that. Um, I, I, I don't get tired. I don't get sick. It, it's the enzymes. It's the enzymes and the oxygen, which is what we need to thrive on this planet because everybody can survive with the half-ass way that most people live. I mean, this human body is such a magnificent machine. People put in 99% of the wrong thing and they're still able to get up and walk around. Mm -hmm not as happily as they could. So the human body is magnificent. It lets you do all these negative things. It lets you exist in a negative environment because the world right now is very hostile for human beings, um, the way it's set up. But we're still able to persevere. So can you imagine you take this magnificent machine and you start giving it what God intended to go in there? You start living within the, the laws of nature? Mm -hmm. You can't lose cause and effect. This is what rules the universe, right? So Raw is the way God intended every animal on the planet to eat. Mm -hmm. Humans are the only animals that voluntarily cook their food, except, oh, our pets. We feed them cooked food, too, and they get the same diseases we get, obesity, cancer, diabetes. Animals in the jungle don't get these diseases. It's because they're eating cooked food. So every time you sit down to a plate of cooked food, your body has to use its store of enzymes to break that food down. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's how you, so every time you sit down at the table and you cook food, you're literally using up your life force. Mm-hmm. And when you eat raw foods, you add oxygen, you add enzymes to the body. When you eat cooked food, you take it away and you're not adding the oxygen. And the human body, I mean, this is it's doing 50 trillion things in there. It's got a it's got a program. It knows what it needs, right? Mm-hmm. So it does what it can to survive, but then you put in the raw foods, you're not only gonna survive, you're going to thrive beyond your wildest dreams. I go, when I was a meat eater and became a vegetarian, I thought, oh my God, look how good I feel. And then I went from being a vegetarian to a vegan and went, oh my goodness. And then I went from being a raw foodist and I thought, oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. I got people know how wonderful this is because people don't have an idea of what health feels like if they haven't been diagnosed with something. They're just assuming they're healthy. But like when I do my classes, we put people, they, they go raw, they start vegan. It depends on where you're starting at. Like the people last night, I started a class last night and I give them a choice of going from meat either to vegan or being vegan to raw. But you got to pick one of them to go in there, you know, and we do it for a week. And so what happens is if you get people doing these things for a week, your body, your mind catches up to your body because the brain is telling us what we can and can't do. But if you get that biochemistry going right first, it's a little difficult. You can force yourself to do the negative stuff, you know, and people as human beings, they're going to do it. You know, I remember my beginnings. I went back and forth and back and forth. This can be part of the process. But. When you go raw, you just have no idea how wonderful you can feel. I mean, it's it's amazing. And I want everybody to do it. <laughs> so, what what exactly is is raw is um is raw food? It means that the foods have not been heated over hundred and fifteen to hundred and twenty degrees. So, anytime you heat up something past that, the fire fire kills, fire destroys. So, the fire destroys the enzymes and the oxygen in the food. So if it hasn't been heated to that, which is why we dehydrate foods at 115, the enzymes are still alive. You can actually make a soup and put a a temperature thing in. If it doesn't go over 115, it's gonna feel hot, but the enzymes are still intact. Mm. So it can be, and I know that there are raw foodists out there that are, you know, some don't eat garlic, some don't eat pepper, some don't eat this, some don't eat that. You know, they put all these little pockets of what you can and can't do. For me, if it's raw and I enjoy it, I'm going to eat it. You know, I don't eat raw meat or eggs or things like that, that I know there are people that do that. But um, it's just your foods that have not been heated over 110, 15 degrees. So the enzymes are intact. Then it's considered living. Oh, no, it's considered raw. Living is when it's been sprouted or fermented. Then that's living foods. And living foods are actually even better for you than just raw foods. Dr. Wigmore, my teacher, used to leave all of her food out overnight so it would become more enzymatically alive before she ate it. Mm. And we make a drink that we make and sell and I teach called Rejuvelac, which is a fermented drink. So getting in the good bacteria is also very, very important. But uh, if your listeners want to give themselves a wonderful challenge, just try it for one week. It isn't that easy to do if you don't have a program or an intention set in your brain. But one week and it's you, you can't. Are you raw? No, but I, I have done raw. I've done a, a couple of challenges. I've done like a, uh, I want to say like maybe a 21 day challenge. Mm-hmm. And I, I 100% hear what you're saying. It's like the first week I felt great. I lost weight. Um, my, my skin cleared up. So everything, I, I 100% believe everything that you're saying. It's just excuses. <laughs> Why? I- okay. I'm glad we've said this because it's not just excuses. This is why I teach my detox classes are the most important thing to do. It's even more important than being vegan, raw, vegetarian, blah, blah, blah. It's detoxing the body. And even though I'm 100% vegan for over 50 years, I'm 100% raw for over 35 years, I still detox, I don't drink, smoke, or do drugs. I still detox my body a minimum of four times a year because you have to break down those layers of toxicity. Even if you're not eating them, you're driving behind buses, taking in chemicals. Even if I'm buying organic vegetables, that organic farm is right next door to the pig farm. You know, the wind isn't going to say I'm going to stop here Mm -hmm. and I'm going further, right? Mm -hmm. You just pay more for the vegetables. So because I'm exposed being in this world and I live in a city, I don't live in a jungle where we're supposed to be. 
uh, I find it necessary to clean my body out four or five times a year. And that's what I really credit my success to more than anything, more than being raw, more than being vegan, is that I clean my body out. So I, I teach classes and I've been teaching them for over 45 years. I teach a 10 day and a 30 day. And the reason I think it's so important, even if you're already doing it, is just to put you in that, I call it your your primal, your perfect learning, your perfect healing zone, you know, your sacred healing space for yourself three or four times a year, just to reconnect and make sure that maybe you're ready to go to another level or another level or another level. So I think detoxing the body of which I regularly teach classes. I don't have my book here. Hey, Nancy, this is one of my books. This is a cookbook and uh, this side is cooked food and this side is raw mm-hmm. food. But I also have a clean, my cleansing book, too. So I have a book out that you can read. Is it under here? The book's back. No. Um, I have uh, a couple of books out. I stream my classes all over the world. And when we started last night, we have people in Seattle and New York and France. We have people all over the world taking my classes. And to me, that's the most important thing that I teach. Because what I say, there are a million protocols out there. There are million, you know, you can go online and get a protocol to do a challenge or a, a detox or cleanse. But I think it's my experience that I lend. I think it's because I've done it for 50 years. This isn't something I've just read from a book. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I learned from the greatest master of all, Dr. Ann Wigmore, who healed herself of terminal cancer and diabetes and everything else. She used to stay in my home with me. Uh, I used to go to Hong Kong. Uh, with my husband, we used to go twice a year for about 25 years. So I worked with Chinese doctors over there and learned stuff. So I just do a combination of all the stuff I've learned. But I think it's what comes out of my mouth is the most important to help people learn to make the change. Because when you realize that there's a symphony going on in here, 50 trillion things that you don't have to think about that's going on without you, and you realize the importance of that everything that goes in here is going to affect everything from the tip of your head to the bottom of your toes. You know, we aren't stagnant beings. We're like a, a, a river flowing. We're always changing internally. So you always have the chance to up your game and get better. Mm. You know, you get new cells every seven years. You get new tissue every three months. You get new bone marrow. Everything is changing. So if you get that mindset and you remember to keep cleansing and help that change go along, you're just not going to age or get sick. Like the coronavirus now is the big thing, right? Everybody's worried. I have no concern of that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think of those things at all. They don't even occur to me. I have my other reasons about it too, that I, you know, I won't get into politics, but um, I'm not concerned with it. I have a 5G thing on my phone because that may have something to do with it. And I have lots of oxygen. Viruses can't live in an oxygenated environment. We have a rife machine here, you know, it's population control, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get political, but I'm not, I don't get concerned about sickness or illness or anything. So you, you talked about um, detoxing the body. What, how would that look for someone? You know, how, cause I know there's a lot of things that are out there that may not be uh, good for you. You know, oh, there's so many out there that aren't, especially you young people are so big on all this fruit. God bless you. You know, and it just, and to do a fruit fast is to me one of the most dangerous things you can do on fruit juices. Oh, yes. Because we are, fruit juice is a lot different than eating the fruit. It's concentrated sugar that goes directly to our spleen pancreas and kind of blows it out. And you end up craving more sugar and more negative things because sugar is one of the most detrimental things on the planet to human beings. We're supposed to have like maybe a quarter gram, a half a gram a year, unless you're living in the jungle full time. We're not supposed to have all this sugar is responsible from cancer to a million different things of the yeast overgrowth in our body. So uh, one of the things I give people, we, we, we take an herb. I have my own uh, products private labeled, but um, I put people on something like fenugreek seed. And fenugreek seed balances the blood sugar levels. It also cleans the lymphatic system. So I give you certain herbs and vitamins and greens and things to do during our period. You make a commitment the first week to either go vegan or go raw. And each week we add to that. And by the third week, we do a little mini fast because I don't think you should be eating steak one day and then fast the next day. I don't think you should be eating uh, um, tofu one day and fast the next day. 
I think the body, you need to prepare the body for it so the body doesn't think it's starving to death. It just knows it's supposed to be doing a, a, a regeneration thing. And the third week, those who are ready, but we do enemas and colonics during the time. I don't believe anybody should ever fast without doing a colonic or an enema. I think that's dangerous. So I think there are a lot of dangerous things out there that people are doing now. But once again, people have to be in their own university and learn too, you know. And if you're doing it at 20, 30, it's probably going to be okay. Just don't keep going into my age group doing it, all the sugar. I mean... I go off 100%, not even eating any kind of fruit. I'll just eat maybe a red pepper and a tomato. That'll be the only food I get. I'll do that for six months. It's like I take 10 years off my face. And that's just for the detoxing? For me, yeah. I do different ones, different kinds of detoxes. But yeah, that's just from detoxing. I can take another 10 years off physically. But you see, everything on your face shows what's going on internally. Mm. Okay, so I'm looking under your eyes, a little, little bit of darkness under there. That's your adrenals and your kidneys. Mm-hmm. And that would tell me either you're eating late. I don't know if you do caffeine or things like that, but this is what this is telling me. This line right here, this is your spleen pancreas, and that's the sugars and the carbs and the things. You don't have lines across your forehead. I'm sure you're young, but that's generally excessive mucus in the digestive tract. And then when this, when people have that double chin, that's their organs prolapsing internally. So everything out here, this is why God gave us this so we can look in the mirror and go, oh, that's what's going on. My liver, my kidneys. Hmm. But instead, women go and get get the stuff in their face and they actually hide their roadmap Mm. that's telling you what's going on. Wow. That's the first I've I've heard that. You know, that's, that's amazing. So you can literally look at your face and tell what's going on and then find the solution in the foods that you're eating if you're eating raw but if you're if you're eating no, cooked no if you're eating no that's only happening no for me i'm just noticing this cuz i don't normally have it but that's when i've been eating too much sugar and i'm talking about natural sugar even uh, so i'm saying everything whether you're vegan or cooked raw your face is showing everything going on when you're younger you can get away with a lot more but that's why you start to get the wrinkles and everything as you get older because the liver and the kidneys and everything is being so polluted mm-hmm. that the river doesn't flow as smoothly so let me ask you this so i've i've gone through different protocols when i've tried um a raw diet one of the things that's been introduced to me is um fruitarian fruitarian um, way of eating. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's what I started out with. I think that the young kids today are just doing way too much sugar, fruitarians. I think if you live in the jungle and you've eaten this way your whole life, you can get away with it. Mm. But I think the amount of sugar that people are taking in as fruitarians, I think it's just too much sweetness given the circumstances that we live under. Read William Duffy, Sugar Blues. It's an excellent book to read about sugar and they get into even the natural sugars, the fruit. I think, you know what, I don't want to poo-poo it because I think it's a wonderful bridge for people that are jumping into this world. And if you're feeling like you've emotionally, you're missing your milk or your ice cream or whatever you're eating, eating all the fruit, the sugar kind of emotionally makes you feel full and comfortable. Mm -hmm. But I think you need to learn that that's not the way to fast and that's not the way to stay on, to sustain your life forever as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, let's see in 10 years what happens, (laughs) you know, to these kids doing it. We all have, I did some stuff that I shouldn't have done in the beginning too, you know, so let's. I'm glad you, I'm glad you clarified that because when you were talking about initially, I thought you were talking about specifically to detoxing, but you're talking about just in general, consuming too much, too many fruits, not even Mm -hmm. refined sugars, but just like even fruits is not the way to go. Long-term. Long-term. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think it's a beginning and bridge to get into the world if it's making you comfortable. But I I do think it's dangerous to ever fast on fruit juices. And I I have friends that are, you know, doing the sugar cane juice fast and whatever. And I'm not for that at all. Okay. So what would be a typical day for you in terms of like what you, I'm sure you get this question a lot, Um, a a typical day for you in terms of like what you eat? You don't want to know because I eat so little food. It's um, unless I'm feeling greedy, you know, Uh, one of the things I teach in my class is hold up your fist, look at it, 
that's the size of your stomach. Whatever size your fist is, that's the size of your stomach. That's all the food you need, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it isn't this area to fill up. And I'm sure you noticed when you ate raw how little food you ate. It yeah. didn't take much to fill you up. Although, it's not all the kids doing all the sugar. They're eating big troughs of food because they're hungry all the time, mm-hmm. all right? Me, so I wake up in the morning and part of in my class, I have people drink water first thing in the morning before you eat anything. Because I teach um, the world is 70% water, the planet, your body's 70% water, your brain is 70% water. So guess what your body wants for food? Water, okay? Your body isn't 70% caffeine, it isn't 70% orange juice, it's not even 70% green juice, okay? It's 70% water. So I start my day off with water, and then, you know, it depends. Um, I may have a, a shot of spirulina or wheatgrass or something. I drink coconut water every day. I'll have coconut water after my 32 ounces of water. I may eat a little something that I've made. It's kind of, kind of nut pate with a raw cracker or something. I may eat a little. I just, yesterday, what I eat, I, we make our own yogurts. I ate a yogurt. I ate um, two, three juices, three 16-ounce juices, a yogurt, little nut pate. And that was probably it for the day. Mm-hmm. I took a professional advanced ballet class with girls 18 and under, had just as much, not as good as them, but I had as much energy as them. Um, I eat so little most of the time. But some days, you know, if I'm feeling greedy, you give me something good to eat, I can eat this much too. You know, I'm a foodie. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm rarely hungry. Mm. So is that would that, is that typical for someone that is eating <laughs> this way? Well, I asked Victor once, my teacher, who's been doing it longer than me, And I said, Victor, you know, I can fast. I can be on a fast for six and seven days and my body doesn't even feel any different. He said, because your body has learned to operate so efficiently on lesser food. So my body has just learned to operate because I'm doing such energy efficient food. It doesn't take a lot. And because I'm so busy, you know, half the time I don't even think to eat. Mm. Probably the hardest Thing that I'm learning, uh, there are two things because you know I, I uh, three of my restaurants closed. I moved from the city to the suburbs. I if anybody can go online and see all the troubles that I had, um, and so not having the restaurants, I think the hardest thing for me to gain control over again was not eating late at night. That's mm-hmm. a difficult thing to stop eating after sundown. So what what what's what's the reasoning for not eating after sundown? Uh, okay, well, we're on the circadian rhythms of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. So if we didn't have electricity, you wouldn't be able to eat after the sun went down, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no electricity. If you were in the jungle, you wouldn't know if you were picking up zebra poo or a grape, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guarantee you, you'd stop eating when the sun went down. It's black. So the human body was designed to fast 365 days of the year from sundown to sun up. Mm-hmm. Sun comes up, you're supposed to break the fast, that's break fast, and you're supposed to break the fast with water to flush the body from the night before. Mm -hmm. So you stop eating after sundown. That's how the body was designed to work. The fast from sundown to sunup, then it's sunup, you flush the body, and then at around noon, when your digestive system is the strongest, that's when you eat your heaviest food. And then you let it wane down again. But, you know, most of the people in the world, that's when you eat most of your garbage food is late at night. You watch stupid TV and eat garbage food, right? That's yeah. what people do. So it's, that's my hardest is not eating late because you, you do tend to look for food for stress for things and things. But I'm working on it again. I'm getting there, you know. Everybody's got something they've got to be working on if you're lucky. Because when you don't have anything to work on, it's time to go, right? <laughs> <laughs> So as far as preparing your food, because you're not cooking, well, if you're cooking, it's under, what you said, 150? Yeah, it's mostly marinating, uh, um, chopping. Oh, you were going to ask me a question. Go ahead and ask me a question. Preparing my food. Um, no, so yeah, so it's basically, as far as preparation of the food, you know, is it basically, you're, you're going into it, so continue saying what you were saying. You're, you're answering my question. Well, yeah, you know, I... <laughs> I read people's minds too when you do wheatgrass now. Um, I, you know, well, I'll tell you this. So when I had, when my kids were little and at home, uh, my daughter is 48 now, by the way, and she lives in California and she's been a vegan her whole life. Um, she's probably 80% raw, not 100%. And she lives in LA. But um, when my kids were little, 
we would go to the farmer's market on Sundays and that's when I would, you know, get everything ready for the week. So I still kind of do that. I kind of, I'll chop up vegetables and having them in glass containers in the refrigerator or, you know, I'll, I'm always making up stuff for the rest. I have a restaurant that will be opening um, in the end of April. So I'm opening up again. So I'm working on new recipes for the new restaurant or I make food and bring it to my employees, you know, because I love to cook where other people may have a glass of scotch and some pot to relax. I cook. <laughs> and so and I don't eat the food. So I give it away. You know, I have my client was in last week and I gave her a whole basket of food. So I dream food. I love to cook and make food. That's what I love to do more than anything. if I could be in the kitchen forever. I'd be a happy camper. But when you have a business that you lose that fun, you have to run the business and you don't get to be in the kitchen as much. But I have the wellness spa right now and um, it's all one building. So the restaurant will be on the end. I have a classroom in the middle where we stream the classes and I have a, a kitchen built in there where I can do cooking classes too. And the spa, we have uh, colon therapy, oxygen bathing, infrared sauna, ozone, uh, ear candling, massage, facials, and uh, we even have the cannulas where you can sit and do oxygen. I'm real big on oxygenating the body, real big on that. And what's and what's your reasoning for the oxygenation? Um, cancer cells, viruses are all anaerobic. They can't live in an oxygenated environment. So one of the reasons that cancer is so prevalent now, when I used to teach 40 years ago, it was one in 10 people, and then it was one in four people. Now it's every other person you know will have cancer. I mean, we're in an epidemic mode of it and nobody's addressing it mm. the way it should. So it's every other person you know will have cancer. And cancer loves yeast, sugar, acid, loves those three things, yeast, sugar, and acid. And we address all those things in my classes too, and lack of, and, and oxygen, lack of it. So in oxygenating the body, I don't feel you ever have to worry about getting cancer. They were healing cancer in the 1930s with hyperbaric chambers. And then the pharmaceuticals came out, washed all that away, and there was money to be made in pharmacies and not in oxygen therapy. I have a woman that came to me a few months ago. She had third, stage three cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put her on a program and with raw foods and all the other stuff, the therapies. We have a Rife machine here also. I forgot to mention that. Um, Within four months, they couldn't find the cancer in her body anymore. I just worked with a guy that had um, colon cancer. They wanted to give him a, a colostomy. Six months, can't find any cancer in his body. My ozone machine that I have, they have 10 million documented cases of people healed with AIDS and cancer and those with ozone therapy. Oh, wow. Uh, I have a Rife machine. They gave Royal Rife 20 terminally ill cancer patients in the 1920s, and they all healed. That's vibrational healing. So I have a spa where I take care of all these things, and people come to me from all over the world with their challenges, or they call me, or I Zoom, or I uh, Skype with people, because this is my joy. This is what I love to do. Really building another restaurant at 73, I have to be totally insane. I should take my little social security and move to Costa Rica and live like a queen, but I don't know what else to do but work. I'm going on a little bit on a, on a side here, but you mentioned Costa Rica. I keep hearing Costa Rica come up from so many people. What is it about Costa Rica that? Well, the area I want to live in is a blue zone. Mm-hmm. And my teacher, Victor, lives there. Uh, he's got a piece of property that's unbelievable. It's just like a little bit of heaven. It's just so beautiful. And they don't even have organic because they're not spraying in the area I want to go to. There are areas that they're spraying and screwing up now, too, like the rest of the world. But I want to be in Montezuma in Costa Rica. And it's really so beautiful. I did a retreat there last March. Uh, Victor, myself, and Johnny Juicer, we did a retreat in uh, Montezuma. And uh, I was going to do it again this March, but I'm opening up the restaurant, so I'll do it the following March again. We'll do another retreat. It's, you'll come. Beautiful. <laughs> you'll love it. No. Really- so let me ask you this. So in terms of restaurants, you know, I've, I've heard restaurants are like one of the hardest things to to operate. The hardest job I've ever had in my life. And guess what? Our people are the worst customers in the world. <laughs> 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 They're so high maintenance. They expect everything. I have to tell you, please, vegan people, tip too like you're in a regular restaurant. Yeah, you know, I always have to pay my employees more because people don't tip in this world. You know, you go to a pizza joint, you drop five dollars when you my place is by, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but 
I haven't given up, but it is the toughest thing in the world I've ever done. And I've had a lot of, I've been working since I'm 12 years old and it is the hardest thing I've ever done running a restaurant. And if anybody wants to do it, they come to me all the time and ask my advice. You know what my advice is? Work for somebody else on their dime and learn about it before you do it. Mm. So what are you what are you taking from the past restaurants that you've had into this new venture? Like, what are some of the takeaways you're bringing into this new venture? Well, I'll give you a little bit of a secret because I'm doing something totally different. Uh, you know, having had the second raw restaurant in the country, having been vegan at 50, I mean, half the foods that people are making out there I made for. So I decided I don't want to compete with myself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's two raw restaurants in Chicago now, and both of the people used to work for me. So even the packaging is the same as mine. <laughs> it's cool. They're getting the word out. So I decided, what can I do totally different, you know? And I'm, I'm going to open up an Italian restaurant. It's going to be an Italian vegan restaurant, raw and cooked, but all Italian. Oh, wow. I'm even naming it Terrence after myself. I'm naming it after my deceased son. Uh, my son's name was Secondino. And so I'm calling it Secondino's, and it's going to be all. Nobody's done just an Italian restaurant, at least in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, but it'll be a lot of raw, it'll be a lot of cooked. And I'm kind of famous for my ice cream before everybody was out to making all the vegan. And I make a vegan i make a raw ice cream that is you can't tell the difference in dairy queen in that so i'll have desserts and italian food and what is what is your ice cream made out of if you don't mind me asking i, I use a it's very expensive to make i use uh cashew butter and almond butter i mean i use the really thick heavy butters i use a um, sunflower lepicin to give it the creaminess i mean it's very expensive to make but it tastes better than Ben and Jerry's. Okay. <laughs> <I didn't> that. <laughs> I don't think Ben and Jerry's was around when I was eating ice cream. I know my husband used to eat it all the time. So. And and this is going to be in Chicago. Where, where is this going to be exactly? It's in Bucktown. Uh, I'm speaking right now. I'm in the wellness spa. And it's in Bucktown, um, 1717 North Ashland. It's, um, if, any, if people know about the 606, they took these railroad tracks. And they turned it into a um, trail for runners and uh, hikers and bicyclists. So I'm right, right at the end of the 606 here. Okay. And by the expressway. And, you know, it's kind of like an upscale, yuppie kind of neighborhood, you know. But I have to say, no matter where I go, my people follow me and support me 10,000%. It is so, you know, I know how people go, oh, black people don't. I haven't had that experience from day one since I opened up. I used to be on Halstead and there used to be this little guy that was a janitor with some building way on the south side and he would take the train every Sunday to my place to get a meal and he said, I got to support a sister. Mm. So I have not had that experience at all with my folks. I They've been so incredibly, in fact, I had a woman once, this is kind of a funny story. She, um, she was in my other restaurant and I have all kinds of people working for me. I got my folks, you know, I have a lot of uh, Latino people and a lot of black people were, and but I had this one white girl working there, and the woman came in and she said to her, she says, you know, I don't come here more. She says because you know Karen, she only caters to the black people, and the girl didn't know <laughs> what to say to her because I guess because she saw so many black people in there all the time, she's assuming. And I when she came back to tell me, I said you should have told me because I would have got up and said, yep, that's right, get out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um. It, it, it will do well. I'm excited about the new place because I do get all cultures of people in my place. And do you have do you have a set date? Or you say, I know you said April. No, uh, I would love to have a set date. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we had financial troubles. We had city permit troubles. We had so many, but all the troubles are gone. Now I just have contractor troubles, keeping mm. them at word. So whatever they say, and I don't trust what they say at this moment, I'm afraid to. So I'm going the end of April. You know, they've already told me March, but I don't believe that. So I already moved it to April. All right. Well, that's exciting. I was I was in Chicago not too long ago, but it was it was very brief. So thank you for saying that because I would have been a little upset that you didn't come by and say hi. <laughs> if you want to interview me, you come to right away. Now, now I know. You know, when next time I get into Chicago, not only do I get to stop by, but I I do want to have you know see you and meet you in person, and hopefully have some we cool events happening. Here. Say that again. A uh, family here? No, no, no. I went there for business. It was oh. my first time going, so most of the time I was spent, you know, in meetings and what have you. But, oh. um, 
but yeah, and I didn't really know the lay of the land, but I got it. I got someone took me on a tour, took me around. So, you know, what, how, what vegan restaurants did you eat at here? Um, I went to uh, there was a pizza place, um, the House of Zah. Yes, yes. Yeah, they re they're really good. I've, I've eaten there. You know, I didn't have to cook, but the person I was with had they back heard they're really good. Strange, they only take cash though. I got to go back and find out why they do that because I find that very unique that mm -hmm. they only take cash. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think if it was the, yeah. Why? Because if you have cash, then your employees can steal and people can come in. They had an ATM machine in the restaurant. And they only took cash. I thought that was weird, but the, they have a great place. Mm -hmm. That's close to where I am, the House of Zah. It's not oh, far from me. It. It's a really nice area. It's I walked, mm -hmm. walked around, saw the sights. It's you know mm -hmm. I, was, I was really, you know, hearing about Chicago. Obviously, it's like one of the top three cities in the country. But to actually experience it was was so clean here, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. If people wanted to know more information about you, I know you have some pro pro programs. You have books like. What are some of the things people can discover when they're looking to learn more from you? Absolutely. Um, well, I have my own line of products. I'm real big on digestive enzymes. I think those are everything, digestive enzymes. Um, and so, and I recently came out with a third one. I have a systemic, I have a digestive, and I just came out with a probiotic. So we're about to do a 30-day challenge with just three of my products to show people what a difference they can make just doing some enzymes and um, our green meal smoothie and my ozonated magnesium. And you'll be like a new person. Um, I have, if you go to my website, KarenRaw.com, K-A-R-Y-N, KarenRaw.com, you can see my website and all the stuff we do. Um, so you can go to my website. I do classes every month. I do detox classes. I do food prep classes. I love Instagram, so they should check me out on Instagram. That's where I do most of my fun stuff is on Instagram. You go to Karen Calabrese. I don't know a lot about Facebook. I mean, I've been on it for a thousand years, and they work it for me, but we're on Facebook. Um, so check me out on social media and my website and my classes and my products and everything that we do here. This is my book, The Cleanse, Soak Your Nuts, The Cleanse. And this is the one that I talk about cleaning and cleansing. Although I've even added a few more things to it since the book was written. And I'm working on a new book. So it'll be coming out soon. And I'm working on an ebook. So I'm working on a regular published book. And I'm working on an ebook with Victor and I. Because so a lot of times when people ask me questions, I'll call him for his opinion. And he gives me a different answer. So I'm going to do a little ebook and call it Conversations with My Teacher. Mm. So the questions that people ask me, what his, what his answers are. Because, I mean, it's a shame that more of the vegan raw world doesn't know about him. He did all the research on... Um, Wheatgrass, why we do wheatgrass. He's the one that discovered sunflower sprouts and buckwheat sprouts. He discovered that like 60 something years ago. He's like the genius of geniuses. And most of you guys don't even know about him. Here's this. He wrote, I read, he wrote one of the first books I ever read on raw. I read Dr. Wigmore first, Be Your Own Doctor. But this is Victor's book, Survival in the 21st Century. And he wrote this in the 70s. That, this is the book I read on raw foods and healing. So I'm doing an ebook with him and I'm doing my own regular novel about my life and um, opening up a restaurant and uh, planning to live in Costa Rica three months out of the year and what else. And I'm developing new products and new recipes. Is that all? I was kidding. No, no. <laughs> St staying busy. <laughs> uh. I'm going to give you one other quick thing. You know, we we are in cycles of life and death. And the world is in 10-year cycles. Our lives are in 10-year cycles. Mm. So at 70, if you read from the cycle chart, you're literally supposed to die. Uh, but it doesn't have to be a literal death. You could be dead because you aren't reinventing yourself. You could just be watching judge shows on TV every day or going on cruises. You know, that's kind mm. of a death because you aren't staying relevant in the world of this circular of helping and being helped. You just kind of... And so... I, I kind of feel that all the negative stuff that happened to me was like my blessing mm. because I had done everything. I had done everything so easily for me that I don't know that I was totally present all the time with mm. everything because I could just do it so easily. And uh, losing everything and starting all over again is kind of made me like a teenager. I had to move to a new house. I had to start a new business, you know. I've had to do everything, so it's kind of like I got born again. <laughs> mm. 
it's kind of cool. So let me, as we're winding down the podcast, I want to look for some hacks. You know, what are some things that could make people's lives a little bit easier if they're transitioning into either a vegan lifestyle or into a raw mm-hmm. raw food lifestyle? What are some things that you've come across? Yeah, you know, if you've made this decision, then I say go clean out your refrigerator and your pantry. You know what I'm saying? Don't hang on to it to see what, give yourself a clean sweep because that's the lifeblood of our lives is our refrigerator and our pantry. So you try and tell yourself, I'm never gonna need again and you still have some frozen fish, fish sticks in the freezer, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna be a little tempted along the way and you haven't really repacked your life with where you're going. So I say, clean out the refrigerator. If you don't want to throw everything away, give it to some homeless people, make some bags and pass it out to some, you know, they're, they're not into their health yet at this point. Um, but I think cleaning out your refrigerator and your pantry are number one goals. I think uh, starting your day with water is the best device I can give you more than anything. No wheatgrass, no vegetable juice, no nothing. Start your day with water because that's what your body wants. Um, and it's not that hard to do. And just, you know, have your cup of coffee there ready to drink after you've had your water. But here's the deal. You're not going to really want it necessarily after you've given. There's a, you know, every cell in here knows what it needs. There's an intelligence with every cell in our body. We just force the body to take what it, you know. So you start putting all the right stuff in. It's, it can make it very difficult to do the negative stuff. What are, you, what are your thoughts on, like, celery water? Celery juice? Celery yeah, juice. Yeah, I know all the um, negative stuff that they say about it, but I drink celery juice every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if God forbid, if that's the worst thing I do and it's, it's great for the inflammation and whatever, I don't see, you know, I know that it's a hybrid. I know all the things they say about it. It's just like we shouldn't eat corn, but I'll take my digestive enzymes and eat my corn too because I'm not eating meat, this chicken or dairy for 50 years. Let me have a little celery and corn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Got to pick and choose your battles, <laughs> because if you you get and, and it's not like well I do drink I will drink carrot juice uh, celery juice every day and then I may go two weeks where I don't have it where I'm just having coconut water in the morning and so I kind of think if you bring your body as close to balance as you can it'll kind of let you know okay you don't need any more of this now let's do a little of this mm-hmm. you can listen to your body if you detox and cleaned it out so celery juice. When people come to me, oh, you, I, if they're even trying to be vegan, well, I don't want to do any story. Oh, the latest I had was somebody go, what do you think of Burger King and that uh, uh, burger that they have? Isn't that horrible? And I said, well, it's going to save a lot more cows. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so go for it. You know, and if this is what you need to get off of that, go for it. Do I eat it? No. But I think it's a great bridge. I think, you know, celery juice, if it's going to help with inflammation, what it is initially in the beginning, do it. It's a bridge. Maybe you don't want to stay with it forever. But when you come to this with so many little rules in addition to the big rules, you kind of you kind of process yourself out of the whole process. You got to keep it practical to keep it in practice, too. And what are some of the tools that you use, your day-to-day go-to um, items, appliances, what have you? Well, I, I don't. I couldn't exist without a dehydrator. Uh, my ovens, though, are actual dehydrators. I've got the expensive ovens that are dehydrators so that you can get dehydrators at such a great price. Because you don't have to throw anything out, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. You have a dehydrator, it's like canning. So I have a whole section in my pantry. It's just like I, I made a raw soup today. If I don't finish it, I'll pour it on the thing and make crackers out of it, dehydrated. So I think a dehydrator is everything. A Vitamix, I think, is important. A juicer, I think, is important. So a juicer, a Vitamix, and a dehydrator, I use those every day. Cocoa Jack, but I used to do it with the big uh, thing before I got a I used to do it with a machete because they didn't have the Cocoa Jack then when I first started doing coconuts. Aris Latham, who I told you about, the greatest raw food chef in the world, he was the one that started us all doing coconut water. Mm. He's from Panama, and he came and he used to own a raw food restaurant in New York. And um, look him up, Aris Latham, he's brilliant. And what are the the sugar more than I am? Go ahead. And what are the benefits of coconut water? Oh well, it's a um, it, it hydrates you ex- exceedingly well. Uh, I would say it's the only other thing to drink in the morning other than uh, 
plain water because it's grown highest to the sun, so it's going to do the flushing. It's a protein. It balances blood sugar levels. Um, it's kind of like a perfect food for us for hydration and everything. It's great if you work out to drink coconut water. I drink that every day. And then um, last, last, last two or three questions. <laughs> um, as far as organic and non-organic, when it comes to your produce, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I will do non-organic avocados and certain things like that. I'm not, I will never do a non-organic strawberry. I will never do berries that are not organic. Um, I won't do carrots. I won't do cute. I mean, certain things I insist on being organic, especially if I'm going to juice it. But, you know, like if I'm having a dinner party and I'm making cauliflower for everybody, I may not get organic and I may. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's cool. But for myself, for raw, I'm, I'm big on organic. But when I didn't have money, I wasn't big on organic. Do you know what I'm saying? I, so I didn't mean that I didn't get the vegetables and do them. What Dr. Wimore taught us is that if you fill up your sink with water and you put your vegetables in and you put a few blades of wheatgrass in there, it absorbs the toxicity out of the plant. That's what wheatgrass does. It absorbs the poisons out. And they actually did it and they tested the wheatgrass afterwards and found the poisons in the vegetables were in the wheatgrass now. So I used to do that before I was able to afford organic or even organic was as big an option as it is now. Um, I think wherever you can and if you can afford it, go organic just to support the planet and the organic farmers and your body. But if you can't, don't not do vegetables because they're not organic. And where do you source your, where do you typically get your um, fruits and vegetables? Um, well, uh, you know, when I own the restaurant, I got everything wholesale. Uh, but now, uh, I, you don't have these all over the country. There's a, a, a local supermarket called Jewel. We have them all over Chicago. And they actually have better organic produce than Whole Foods and cheaper. Um, but, you know, I go with the flow wherever I can find it. Sunrise, I just, if I'm going to spend money, Money and waste money or spend money. I'm going to do it in this arena and to help the people that are in this arena also. So I, to be honest with you, I don't do a lot of shopping at Whole Foods, um, and I have personal reasons for that. Um, it's just another big box store that's taken over the world that we're not going to have any choices. And the more you support them, the more they they're putting out small businesses like mine. They're putting all the mom and pop business out. Believe me. And pretty soon, almost all those smaller health food stores in Chicago were gone. And they were all my friends because of Whole Foods. And now they're owned by Amazon. So it, there's no human connection to the place anymore as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad people have it, a, a place to go. But you're not totally safe there, too. There's a lot of stuff that you shouldn't eat in there also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't tell people, you, do the best that you can. But I personally don't do a lot of support of Whole Foods. It's funny. Uh, a few, quite a few years ago, the Mackie, who was still head of it, he and a bunch of his friends actually came to my raw restaurant to eat. And I went up and I go, so what are you guys doing here? And they go, oh, we're just checking out. Everything I've ever done, they've copied there. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, copied everything I ever did, you know, and then they went to somebody else and started carrying their raw foods. And uh, I used to supply them with wheatgrass before anybody had heard of wheatgrass and uh, put a lot of money into supplying them. They dumped me like a hot potato. A lot of my friends, they carried their stuff, and went, once they get it and get the mark, but they 365 it and throw you out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a big lover of Whole Foods, but I'm glad you guys have it, because if you're not as committed as I am, you're not going to run around and source everything. So I think it's a great bridge for people, but throw your own vegetables and go someplace else. <laughs> And, and in closing, the final question, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would want our audience to know? I, I probably, just the rules that I follow for myself and that I teach is um, always show up for yourself. Uh, treat yourself like the job you want to keep, you know, mm. get paid for and keep. You know, everybody's so good about their jobs. I got to get this done, guys. And when it comes to, well, let's can wait. So treat yourself like the job you want to keep mm -hmm. number one in your life. And um, just remember that if you don't take care of this most magnificent machine you'll ever be given, where are you going to live? Mm. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for being on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Can't you tell I like to talk? (laughs) And I am glad you like to talk. It makes it makes it easy, easy conversation. But um, thank you so much. And one more time, can you tell everybody where they can find more information about yourself? Yes, please go to Karen, K-A-R-Y-N, Karen Raw, R-A-W.com. And that's my website. And it's got all my info on it for my classes, my products, my books, everything I'm going. I'm going to be speaking in Poland next November. I speak all over the world, actually. They invite me to speak. So you can get a list of all the places I'm going to speak and stuff like that. And what's your, what's your, what, is your, what are some of your favorite places to go to? Last, last thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, I wouldn't have said it before, but when I spoke in Lithuania, I, and you'd be surprised, they actually had two raw food restaurants in this little town in Lithuania. But Dr. Wigmore said, I love Italy, but more than anything, I love India. I love Costa Rica. Hmm. Probably India was my all-time favorite. Wow. I spent a month in India. I worked in a soup kitchen in a leper colony, and I went with my spiritual teacher, Purvalaya. Probably India was my most favorite. And I was eating cooked vegan the whole time I was there because you can't eat the raw stuff in India. But we were meditating eight hours a day, you know, so I didn't get sick. Um, And, of course, the cows are sacred there. And I actually made friends with a cow that followed me up the mountains in the Himalaya. And I would feed him. And I said, you know, I've been on your side a long time. So I probably would say India, then Costa Rica, then Italy. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you in person when we go to Chicago, or maybe maybe we see you in India, or, you know, wherever the universe. Bring me out there to speak. I, you know, you have to give me a time limit when to shut up when I go to lecture, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm nonstop. And um, thank you so much. Look forward. You are listening to the So Flow Vegans podcast. We want to thank... Karen Calabrese, once again, for joining us on the SoFlo Vegans podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with her. And we also spoke to her another time, which aired first, but this was actually first, um, on our SoFlo Vegans virtual expo. So make sure you check that out. We'll be dropping the links on our show notes so you can have direct access to that. And if you enjoyed the episode, let us know. Contact at SoFloVegans.com. Leave a comment on the show notes for this episode on SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. Wherever you can find us, wherever you subscribe, show your love, show your support. It helps more people discover us and allows us to continue putting out these amazing episodes. Up next, we have none other than Philip Mangan, the vegan model joining us so that's going to be next tuesday you can tune into that and then following that podcast we have peter cervoni from good catch marco antonio regil damian mander dr will and mike the vegan and mike the vegan will be closing out i believe actually we'll have one more episode because we want to do 12 episode seasons so be on the lookout for our final episode for this season and there's just so much to explore and to enjoy on SoFlow Vegans we're not just a podcast we're working to make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism not just for the people living here but for you wherever you live so you can come down here enjoy and be in paradise be in vegan paradise so if you want to show your support, go to SoFloVegans.com community to find all the ways you can help and support us. And with that being said, thank you. And we look forward to seeing you or rather having you join us on our next podcast. You are listening to the SoFloVegans podcast.